As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1 today. Uh, James chapter 1. It was a cold January morning in Washington, D.C. at the Metro Station, and the street musician showed up, took out his violin, and began to play. He began to play some classical music, some Bach pieces, and you've probably seen a street musician, how they will put the instrument case down at their feet, and people can donate to them and, and encourage them in their music. And so he began playing, and he played for about an hour. Busy place there in the train station. And so during that time, over a thousand people walked past him. And observers noted that six people stopped to listen to the music. At the end of the hour, he had collected 32 bucks during his playing. Now, here's the irony of the story. The violinist was a famous musician by the name of Joshua Bell, and he was playing on a violin that was worth three and a half million dollars. And two days earlier, he had played the same music to a sold-out music hall in Boston, and the tickets for the concert averaged about a hundred dollars apiece. So all these people passed by, not realizing who it was that was playing the violin. What was the difference between the concert and the street performance? The difference was circumstances and perception. Perception's a word that I want to talk to you about today. It's a noun. The word perception means a way of regarding, understanding, or interpreting something, a mental impression. So we're constantly perceiving. We're constantly making mental impressions. You made a mental impression when the graduates were before you. You make a mental impression all the time throughout the day. And we all see things differently. Those of you that are married, have you ever seen something differently than your spouse saw it before? Yeah, that that occasionally occurs. Sometimes we even see things differently just based upon our circumstances. There's a picture I want to show you right now, and, and uh, you can look here on the screen. All right, so you see this picture on the screen. How many of you see a young woman? Would you lift your hand? Okay. How many of you see an old woman on the picture? About half and half. It was that way in the early service as well. So depending upon your circumstances, this is a famous uh, illusion called my, my wife and my mother-in-law. So uh, you got to love it, yeah. And so there's a young woman who's looking away, and you see her neck, and you see her face looking away, and then there's also an older woman who has her head down and looking a little bit distraught. And they tell us that frequently based upon your circumstances is what you will see. So if you're feeling young and energetic and alive today, you probably saw the young woman. If you're feeling a little older and have aches and pains and, and not feeling quite as alive, you may, have seen the, you may have seen the older person there in the picture. Now, we probably need to go back to the authenticity logo, otherwise people will be talking about that picture for the next five or ten minutes. But one of the, make sure you stick with me here, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is the ability to rise above our circumstances and to begin to see things from a godly perspective. 
That's what I want to talk to you about today, seeing life, especially the trials of life, from a godly perspective. We're beginning a new book today. We're going to start working our way through the book of James. Uh, James is one of those guys, I love his book because he really, he just gets up in your face. He just, he doesn't, he doesn't soft sugarcoat it. He just tells you, all right, if you have faith in God, it's going to lead to works in your life as well. The book was written in the first century. James is known as the half-brother of our Lord because he was one of Mary and Joseph's children later on after Jesus was born. And he writes this book to Christian Jews, and it was a horrible time to be Jewish and to be a Christian at this time. It was about 25 years after the crucifixion. Back in 49 AD, the emperor Claudius had dispelled all the the Jews out of the epicenter of the world at that time, Rome. And so if you were Christian and your ethnicity was Jewish, there weren't many jobs for you. There wasn't much of a social circle for you because you were an outsider within your ethnic community and you were also an outsider within the economic community. And so when James writes this letter to them, they're going through a difficult time. So look with me beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, look at verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now, let that sentence sink in a bit here. The Bible has just told us that we are supposed to consider it a great joy when we experience various trials. Now, this is one of the great paradoxes of life, that we need struggle in order to be mature. Now, this goes against our grain, because in our culture, we are taught that part of the dream of growing up, graduating, getting a job, going out into life is that it will eventually lead to a stage where everything is comfortable, everything is easy, and you have a lot of safety. And yet, the reality is is that we as human beings, we as Christians, we need challenge, we need struggle. And, And in every area of our life, if you really want to achieve something, you're going to have to go through a struggle. Physically, if you want to have massive muscles like like my friend Dusty over here. I mean, muscles just popping out of, uh, he has muscles on top of his muscles. If you want to be like Dusty Schwarzenegger over here, then, then you have to take your body and put it through struggle. In fact, in order to build muscle, you have to break down muscle. And so you, you lift weights, you break those muscles down, then your body recovers, and you become, you become stronger. Same thing's true if you want to get in good cardio shape. You're going to have to breathe a little bit heavily, and you're going to have to get out there, and you're going to work out. So physically, we know that in order to get to that point of being an endurance person, you have to go through struggle. Academically, the same thing is true. Before you can graduate, you had to pass tests. Now, I, I know that in a perfect world, we'd have teachers who would just come in and say, students, you guys just want to learn so much that we don't need any tests and we don't need any measurements because your zest for learning is so great that we'll just all gather here today and just learn, right? That's going to work really good, isn't it, Michael? I mean, they, they're going to need tests at some point to measure whether or not they are learning the material because that test, that struggle, helps us to reach a point of growth. 
It's true professionally as well. If you want to be a leader in your organization, in your community, you're going to have to learn to identify and navigate both opportunity and obstacle. You're going to have to go through the challenge. And spiritually, if you want to have a mature faith, you're going to have to have a faith that perseveres through difficulty. And the Bible says here that we also have to begin perceiving these these trials as opportunities. So the scripture says, when we face trials, consider it a great joy. Now that word consider deals with how you think. Okay, So whenever you face your trial, what is your perception of that trial? How do you see it? What are you looking to see happen in that trial? One of the big challenges that churches deal with these days is perception. Frequently people come to church with a consumer perception. And so they walk into church and they perceive church and they evaluate it from the standpoint of, do I like it? Am I having fun? Are there things here that meets my, meet my needs? And so we approach our spiritual growth from a consumer mindset. Now, I, I get it. I have small children that are growing up in the church as well, and there's times where you want them to have fun, and we want VBS to be enjoyable, and we want to be able to do camps and, and have things that happen that are, that are exciting. Yet at the same time, I think one of the things we need to realize as Christians, that if we bring a consumer mentality into church, it will ultimately lead us to an unsustainable future. Because the church can never keep up with Disney. The church can't keep up with YouTube. We can't be entertaining enough. We can't be uh, big enough to compete with multi-billion dollar companies that invade our minds all, all the time. But fundamentally, church is about equipping us to give, not receive. So we come to church because It helps us learn to be a disciple. It helps us learn to mature in our faith so that rather than our lives just being about what we receive, our lives can be about how can we we give. We gather together as a group in order that we might go out as individuals, families, and as a group and transform our community by the power of the gospel. Sometimes people bring with them the perception when it comes to church that everybody at church is, is perfect. The church is a place where everyone has it all together. I always say that uh, if you met a perfect person here at Murphy Church, they must be visiting because uh, there's no perfect people here. Uh, we're, we're all folks that are going through the struggle. We're all individuals that are, are striving to follow the Lord. And, and sometimes maybe we feel like it all we have it together, and sometimes we feel like we don't have any of it together. But we're in it together. Sometimes we bring the perception with us that church is just a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard anybody have that perception of church? I, I don't want to go to church. I'm the only one that's ever heard that? Man, yeah, I, I don't want to go to church because it's just a bunch of, of hypocrites. Everybody is fake. And unfortunately, there have, have been people that have, Christian people that have done things along the way that they shouldn't. None of us are perfect. Uh, I, I will say this, having grown up, all my life in church, some of the most godly, sincere, wonderful, big-hearted people that I've ever met 
I've met in church. And God has put people alongside me through his church all through my life that have mentored me and taught me and helped me. And so, no, there is no church that is perfect. None of us are perfect. But I pray that all of us will be sincere and authentic in our Christianity. But frequently when it comes to God, we have the perception that He exists to give us a calm and beautiful ride. If I follow God, everything's going to be great. My children will always get along. Whenever I tell them to go clean their room, they'll say, Certainly, Father, I'll be glad to do that right away. There'll be no financial hardship. You'll have a perfect marriage like June and Ward, Cleaver. You'll have excellent health. You'll vacation all over the world. But then that perception meets reality. And in reality, life goes up and down. And in reality, life goes back and forth. And sometimes I've seen this happen, that when our perceptions of what God's supposed to do meets the reality of my life, we get angry. And we start yelling at God, God, what are you doing to me? I've even seen this this sometimes. We start thinking, well, I'll show you, God. I'll quit worshiping. I'll quit coming to church. I'll quit growing. I'll I'll quit serving. I'll quit giving. I'll I'll quit doing all these good things that I do for you, God, because you didn't do for me what I wanted you to do for me. I'm sure the God of the universe responds to that. Wow, you really showed me, didn't you? I own it all. Every blessing you have comes from me. Boy, you really showed me. Now, let, let me talk a little more seriously here about perspective shift. When life brings you a trial, consider the fact that God is showing you something because He wants to use you for something. And so that trial that He's bringing into your life, even though it may not be a good thing, people may have done some things that are really wrong to you, But that trial has come into your life because God is going to equip you and strengthen you because He desires to use you for something. Look at verse 3. Because you know, this is why we can consider it joy, because we know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Everybody say endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Genuine faith will always be tested. And genuine faith perseveres and survives the test. And you see this all the way through Scripture. Uh, we go back to the pages of Genesis, and we find a couple by the name of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had their faith tested. God came to them and told them to leave home. Okay, God, we're supposed to leave everything that we know. Where should we go? And God says, go to a land I'll show you. Just follow me day by day. Well, then they find themselves battling infertility. They have marriage problems. But God continues to work in their life, and Abraham becomes Father Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. You see it with Moses. Moses grew up a prince of Egypt. And then he eventually loses everything that he has. Loses his palace, loses his position loses his Egyptian cotton towels, and uh, he, he loses his nice life and his status. He becomes a shepherd. But eventually God tests his faith and uses him 
to be a great liberator of Israel, literally to lead millions of people out of bondage. You see it with David. As a young man, everything went right for David. He was anointed the future king of Israel. He slayed Goliath. But then he begins to get crossways with the king, and he has to run for his life. He lives in caves. He fights battle after battle. But eventually, God uses him to be perhaps the greatest king in Israel. You see it with Mary. This young woman who was just quietly living out her life in the one camel dusty town known as Nazareth. And then the angel appears to her and tells her, hey, you're going to give birth to the Christ child. And think about how messed up her birth plan was. Nobody says in their birth plan, hey, I want to give birth in an animal pen. But that's exactly where Mary gave birth. I mean, first child, she has to ride on a donkey for 100 miles and then gives birth in an animal pen. I know that doesn't sound nearly as romantic as a stable. It messes up all the Christmas carols if we sing, away in the animal pen. But that's what it was. She gave birth where the sloppy animals were, and then she laid her child in a feeding trough, and then it didn't get any better from there. She and Joseph wind up becoming refugees in Egypt. Then her son grows up, and she sees him crucified. But he rises again, and she finds herself the mother of the Messiah. I take you through all that because I want you to realize this. A mature Christian will have a faith that is tested. And when God brings that trial into your life, here's what the Bible says. It says to consider it, to think on it, to have the perspective of joy. Because we know that somehow through this, God is going to grow me and strengthen me and use me. Now be careful here. This is not a demented sense of joy. All right, I get to suffer. I love suffering. The Bible's not saying that you need to go to bed at night and say, God, all things are possible with you. You are the one who hung the planets in the universe. Please bring me some suffering into my life today. Please make my trials even worse. That person that I don't get along with, make them even more obnoxious. Please, Lord, bring this to me. That's not what the Scriptures are teaching us. This is not a demented sense of joy. This also does not mean that everything in life is good and that suffering and pain and and sin are just illusions. There's real suffering. There's real hurt. There are real evils in this world. But it does mean that we might have a perspective of joy no matter what we're going through because we know that God is going to use this trial to grow me And he's going to use me to help others in the future. When Stacy and I first got married, we started uh, building our lives together and we started making purchases. And we wanted all the things that we had whenever we were growing up. Well, soon we began to discover that we had something called debt. And that we had to make a budget and we had to decide how to change this. We wanted to be grown-ups, but what we didn't realize at that point in our life is all the struggles that our parents had gone through to get all this stuff and to get this life that we had enjoyed growing up. You never arrive at maturity unless you, first of all, go through the season of struggle and the season of growth. And so the Scriptures say here, "...know that the testing of your faith produces endurance." And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in nothing. 
Dean Carnazzi is a famous endurance athlete who likes to run 100 miles at a time. He once wrote, struggling and suffering are the essence of a life worth living. If you're not pushing yourself beyond the comfort zone, if you're not demanding more from yourself, expanding and learning as you go, you're choosing a numb existence. You're denying yourself an extraordinary trip. Within struggle, there is opportunity. As believers... Struggle demands of us faith. You say, well, what is this idea of faith? Well, faith is whenever you give yourself totally to God. Through grace, God gives himself to us. He says to us, I love you. In faith, we say back to God, I love you. Through grace, we receive the presence of God. In faith, we bring our presence to God. And during my trials... The question becomes, how much of myself have I truly given to God? When our faith perseveres through trial, the result is endurance. Now make sure you catch this. Endurance is not the gas that gets you through the trial. Endurance is the result of our faith persevering through the trial. Endurance is the character quality that God produces within us because we have continued to trust Him and follow Him through the difficult times. This is not try-harder Christianity. I'm going through a tough time right now, so what I need to do is I just need to work harder. I'll read the Bible more, I'll go to church more, maybe I'll volunteer, I'll protest something, I'll serve on a team, I'll just try harder. What I'm talking about here is surrendered Christianity. I'm going through a difficult time right now. It's bigger than me. I can't solve it. What I can do is I can trust God. And I can trust God that He's in control. And I can shift my perspective from, God, what are you doing to me? To, God, what do you want to do through me? Try harder Christianity results in exhaustion. I've seen it hundreds of times. Because you can never be good enough. You can never please everyone. They give you this checklist. You say, okay, I'll take this checklist, and I'll get it done. And you go out, and you do this, do this, do this, do this, and you come back and say, I've done it all. And they say, great, while you were out doing that, I made another checklist. You ever had that happen? Try harder Christianity will result in exhaustion because you can never please everyone. You can never do enough. You can never be perfect. You can never make all the problems go away. But surrendered Christianity results in endurance. Because you begin to see that there is purpose, there is joy in the trial. You begin to learn how to glance at the problem and gaze at your God and to live a life of faith. And God grows within you the most elusive of all human qualities, character. And it's that character that allows you to manage the trial with wisdom. We've packed a lot into the service today. Let me ask you three questions, and then we'll be done. Question one, what are the trials of your life right now? Behind the smiles and the how you doing today, what are the trials that you brought in the door with you right now? Where's the struggle? We all have it. Identify it. Question two, how are you perceiving that trial? Are you perceiving it as, God, what are you doing to me? Or are you perceiving it as, God, what do you want to do through me? Are you perceiving it with joy? Are you thinking about how God might be strengthening you, even during the tough time? 
Question three. What kind of faith are you taking through the trial? Is it a selfish faith? Is it a growing faith? Is it a persevering faith? God wants to use your life. God created you on purpose for a purpose. Graduates, the greatest thing that we could send you out with is the ability to see God's will clearly and seize it courageously. To be equipped to live God's mission for your life. God wants to use your life. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? Come to a time of commitment. It might be that for some of us, we need to ask God to change our attitude, change our perspective. Perhaps right now in the service of worship, you need to call out to God and say, Lord, help me to Help me to see the problem with faith and joy. Help me to see it differently. Change my attitude. For some of us, we may need to ask God to help us to quit fighting. We've been fighting God every step of the way. We've been resisting. And God's love keeps pursuing you. And instead, it's, it's time to surrender to Him to place yourself in His care. Consider this prayer. Father, as I go through this trial, help me to make much of You, to find Your joy and delight, to find my joy and delight in You. And may my attitude be godly, may my mind know Your truth, and my will be surrendered to Your direction. Father, I thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that as we go through difficulties in our lives, that we might go through them together, knowing that we're never alone, but knowing that even the love in this room is superseded by the love that you have for us and have placed within us through the Holy Spirit, that nothing will ever separate us from your love, and that even when we go through the times of transition, the times of growth, the times of challenge, that you're working in us so that you might work through us. And Father, we pray that we'll have a surrendered faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.